and welcome to Cult Movie Cult, where we watch and discuss the horrific, the obscure, and the flat-out strange from the other side of cinema. I'm Mark Dickerson. And I'm Jeremy Fink, and this is the second episode in our series Fright Light, Non-Horror Horror Movies. Today we'll be talking about Jacob's Ladder from 1990. Every day, Jacob Singer goes to work. What's wrong? Uh, this is one of those days. And every day, he wonders what is happening to him. Maybe it's the pressure, Jake. They're like demons, Jess. They weren't human. What were they, Jake? Let me look at your hand. Yeah, very strange lines. See, according to this, you're already dead. Something's wrong, Jake. They're coming after me. I don't know who they are or what they are, but they're going to get me, and I'm scared, Jake. I've seen them, too. Maybe the demons are real. He's running 106 feet. This is barbaric. I can get rid of the demons. Who are you? I can block the ladder. Where are you taking me? Where am I? Where do you want to go? Home. This is your home. You're dead. I'm not dead. What are you then? I'm alive. Jacob's Ladder is a 1990 American psychological horror film, but maybe not a horror film, directed by Adrian <laughs> Lin. Right. <laughs> produced by Alan Marshall and written by Bruce Joel Rubin. The film stars Tim Robbins, Elizabeth Pena, and Danny Aiello. In the film, Jacob Singer's experiences before and during his service in Vietnam result in a strange, fragmentary visions and bizarre hallucinations that continue to haunt him. As his ordeal worsens, Jacob desperately attempts to figure out the truth. Mm-hmm. This is a heavy one, mm-hmm. uh, certainly in terms of the thematic uh, subject matter and the type of films that we, you know, that we generally discuss on this show. Um, like another description I saw for it was mourning his dead child. A haunted Vietnam, uh, Vietnam mm-hmm. war, war veteran attempts to uncover his past while suffering from a severe case of disassociation. To do so, he must decipher reality and life from his own dreams, delusions, and perceptions of death. So, yeah, it's definitely, um, like I said, a little bit heavier, maybe like thematically than what we normally cover. But I would say this is still very much a cult film. Oh, um, for sure in keeping with you know everything this, else we do talk definitely, about it definitely passes the cult movie test for yeah. 100 <laughs> it, it has a lot of cred it's um mm-hmm. and right rightfully so and and i had forgotten um how much i personally enjoyed it until i well enjoy is a weird word for this movie but mm-hmm. uh no, but really like this movie yeah and until mm-hmm. i um rewatched it uh you know for the show and I, I hadn't seen it in years but it just really like struck me and really stuck with me like one of those uh instances where I watched the film and I was up at night, like thinking about it, you know, mm-hmm. it was one of those things. So, uh, yeah, really great film. Um, and well, uh, how did, so was this your first time seeing it or had you seen this movie? Before? No. So this is my second time seeing it. I came to this movie originally in a kind of weird way. Um, I, you know, my background in high school, I, I played music, um, particularly rock and metal music. And I remember, oh, the, right. you, yeah, you mentioned this. Yeah. yeah. The, the band Avenged Sevenfold <laughs> had this music video mm-hmm. that was really popular uh, called Nightmare, where it was the lead singer basically going through the scene in Jacob's Ladder, the, you know, the famous scene of him going through this kind of rotted out, decrepit hospital, 
and all these strange, terrifying, oh, right, right. you know, yeah. demon amputees, and amputees, and it, around. Yeah, yeah, just kind of, kind of invading his space <clears throat> and the wheels rolling over limbs. So, mm-hmm. you know, I remember I saw that music video and it really struck me in a big way. Um, I, yeah. I, I, I had, you know, I, I, I didn't when I was younger. I wasn't really as into horror movies or anything like that. It kind of um, was something I got more into as I entered early adulthood. And mm-hmm. it, it really just it freaked me out. I remember the music video was terrifying to me. And, yeah. uh, you know, in, in the comment section on YouTube, everyone was talking, oh, Jacob's Ladder, Jacob's Ladder. And I had no clue what they were talking about and did mm-hmm. a little research. Um, oh, so that's how you that's how you discovered it. Yeah, I don't think I actually watched mm-hmm. it in high school. I think I watched this for the first time um, a little more recently than that. Um, but, yeah, this okay. this was one of those movies for me as well. I, I remember enjoying it the first time I watched it, being sufficiently, you know, freaked out and disturbed and having yeah. that kind of uh that kind of oh disturbed. you know that's a good yeah um yeah. but but watching it this time i was i was kind of really taken with how contemporary the movie felt um particularly the thing mm-hmm. that that i kept coming back to is just the editing of this movie um the editing is great yeah, yeah that that's the thing it's Add just so much the the way yeah. um the, 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 i think about there's um a, a south korean movie called the whaling have you seen that mark no, I haven't. No, it's it's great. It's actually kind of could fit into this series, although it's a little bit more of a, a horror movie, but kind okay. of blurs the lines. Um, but but it it does a similar thing as Jacob's Ladder, where it feels like it's tough to put this into words. But the story moves the pieces of the story, and even from scene to scene, move in a way that's really kind of inexplicable. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like it has that like yeah, a to b. It's like how do we get here? Yeah, kind exactly. Of kind of it, thing, it, yeah. it almost has that feeling of like when, which I guess is, you know, kind of on the nose, but not on the nose, on the mark. Uh, kind of that feeling almost of like when you're in a dream and you don't, you don't really know how you've gotten right. there. And and I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things that's so cool with this movie because the way it starts, you know, the opening scene of this movie, um, at least I believe. Oh. Um, you good? The, yeah, the, is it the nom scene or the scene after that? The, yeah, so, so, yeah so, I'll, so I'll go back. So. Um, okay. So the, the yeah. opening scene of this movie, yeah, this, it opens in Vietnam, um, mm-hmm. you know, with, with these soldiers kind of hanging out and then getting into this battle. doesn't feel that out of place for an opening scene. Like, it feels, you know, it yeah. kind of places you. But then as soon yeah. as we go to the New York stuff, you really kind of lose your footing. And I think what's so interesting is it's kind of presented as a dream, you know, a, a dream in that sequence. Mm-hmm. But it's such a long... The opening sequence is so long and not dreamlike. It's so realistic. Like, there's mm-hmm. nothing... You know, there's nothing well, totally out of the ordinary in that opening scene. Um, I feel like you never know what is a dream in the movie. And that's exactly. That's kind of what makes it work. Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of just even moves the, you moves you right through it the, without explaining it. It does. Yeah, the momentum. And, and yeah, I just I, I found myself, like, enthralled by it and just mm-hmm. really uh, fo- focusing on it without having to, you know, try to focus on it. So it was really, like, a just a really, like, you know, it was a really good <laughs> experience, I guess we'll call it. Um, and... Uh, you know, we don't usually go beat by beat um, story-wise for these films that we discuss on the show, but, um, you know, where we go through all the scenes and, and discuss each, you know, each character and each, you know, exactly what happens and, and everything like that. But I do want to at least do that a bit for this film. Um, and the reason is because the moment-to-moment strange things uh, that happen in the movie is, they, you know, they are sort of the movie in yeah. a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because, like, you, as you described, Jeremy... Um, the movie, I, I wouldn't call it, it's, it's sort of linear, but it's, yeah. um, it, it, you know, it's very vague in the way, again, that you, you don't really know if, if you're watching 
uh, a dream. You don't know if you're watching his Jacob's uh, the main character's delusions or what's going on inside his head. Yeah. You don't know if it's actually real. You know, so it's it's um yeah, that's what makes it unique, I think. But it's also why I wanted to kind of dig into these these uh, parts that we're going to be discussing scene by scene in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to at least touch on all the major visions uh, that Jacob experiences. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that's important, obviously. Um, so as you said, Jeremy, the film begins during the Vietnam War, uh, towards the end of it. So it's 1971. And we see Tim Robbins character, Jacob. Um, and he's in a pretty tense war scene, but I found it interesting right off the bat that it's it's not the usual type of war scene. Mm-hmm. Well, it, okay, so it is a scene that you would see in, in a war movie where, you know, yeah. everyone's kind of being buddy-buddy and yeah. teasing each other and, and sitting around and everything. But usually that would come in later. So it kind of has this ominous feeling, right? It's like, you, you're like something's going to happen here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think nothing can prepare you for what actually does happen. So, I mean, eventually what you learn uh, throughout the movie, but... So it's, um, again, not the usual type of war scene, um, but it does start with the, the troop uh, of men. They're, they're all like goofing off of each other, and then um, suddenly one of them starts convulsing, and that's like the first instance of something very strange happening in the film. Um, and at the same time, there's an attack that happens on their camp, um, and there's some gruesome Im- imagery here of wounds and injuries and, and death, and um, one of the characters is just sitting there watching all of this, um, and he does come back later as well. Uh, and uh, he's clearly just frozen by the fear and unable to move or comprehend what's what's going on. And uh, Tim Robbins' character, Jacob, he's, he's stalking after the attackers, and he gets stabbed by a bayonet. And from there, it just cuts... We were talking about the editing. From there, it cuts right to um, what's present, present time in the film, uh, which is 1975. And we're in New York, and Jacob's on a, uh, a subway train. And um, I, Jeremy, I like the signs on the inside of the car where it's advertising the, the Big Apple. And then right next to it, it says it just says hell. Like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. letters. It was like because we've talked about this before in the show, how um, how New York really up until the 2000s, uh, it was a very different place. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? It, it had a reputation of being a, a bit grungy and dirty and oh, dangerous. Yeah. So uh, before it was quote-unquote cleaned up though, though so i would say it, i would say seeing a poster like that now even on the subway wouldn't be totally out of place right uh, like, like <laughs> that's why you said it felt very contemporary right yeah, yeah. yeah you you could still like the new york yeah. of this movie doesn't feel contemporary but that moment it was funny because i was like that's a little on the nose but then i was like no like i've definitely seen that yeah. kind of thing in subways before so yeah. it's, just, no, it's, it's just a <laughs> deliberate choice it's believable but also you know it does make sense to the, the mm-hmm. thematic uh, subject oh, yeah. matter of the film. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's, I just thought that was kind of like an interesting moment. Mm-hmm. And um, this is the first of many strange and utterly horrific visions that Jacob has uh, when he's on the train. And I um, uh, he sees something. Now, I w- at first I wasn't sure what I was looking at here. And I guess you're never really supposed to know exactly what you're looking at with these yeah. visions that he has, right? Mm-hmm. Um uh, but I do want to go through, like I said, and try to decipher these best we can um, because they are so utterly bizarre. But um, this is, I guess it resembles like a tentacle or something um, that's coming mm-hmm. out uh, from one of the passengers or where the seat is in the, you know, on the train. Um, and then there's, um, now this, there's lots of haunting imagery in this movie, but I thought this opening scene was really great, how it sets the scene um, it definitely feels like a dream. And it, actually, I've learned later when I was doing some research on the film that it was based on a dream that the writer had. Interesting. Um, it's almost like beat for beat, what, you know, the exact dream that he had when he was on the train. And then he, he 
gets off the train and everyone's gone and he he tries to leave he tries to use the exit but he can't you know it's it's like blocked off um and he's in this empty station by himself he goes down on the tracks with the puddles and the rats and it's just very eerie and Mm -hmm. then um right before he almost gets hit by the next oncoming train um uh we see so he almost gets hit by a train and then we see he kind of like turns around and looks and it's like this another vision right at the beginning where it's like a person standing there looking out the back of the train at him but he he looks like disfigured and, mm-hmm. and definitely demon-like he's definitely creepy as hell yeah. that part yeah um and uh so you know right so the the notion that i got because again you know it's been a while since i saw the movie and i'm trying to remember things about it as i'm watching it but i feel like it definitely touches on uh the post-traumatic stress element yeah. you know because you see the war scene and then you you see this so you kind mm-hmm. of just put two and two together um but we start to learn that there is more to it than that. Um, definitely with his son that starts to come into play. Yeah. I, I think what's cool is... The, failed marriage. Yeah, I think yeah. one of the things that's kind of cool with it, too, is because, like, at this point... And then that's why it is that thing of, like... You know, we are talking before, because it, when, when you start talking in abstractions, like, this is a simi- similar to what we talked about with Eraserhead of, you know, how you pull it off and make it believable when you're kind of functioning in dream logic. And I think something that's really cool with this one is because we get that opening scene in Vietnam... Um, and then we get him waking up. I almost kind of took it as like a flashback. Um, I, I don't know mm-hmm. if you felt the same way, but that really yeah. ground, grounded us in this thing. And that's the thing. It's like, I think what makes this so surprising, uh, the, these these opening scenes here and what kind of drops you into it, is you go in kind of feeling like, you know, you've, you've seen this kind of bizarre thing in Vietnam, but then you see him kind of waking up and you're like, all right, maybe this is just some kind of PTSD thing where he's, you know, the convulsing and the strange things that are happening um in that in that opening scene are kind of a mix of dream and reality but you accept it and then he wakes up on this train and, and at least for me i'm like okay now we're grounded now we're going to start our real story um, yeah now the film begins now yeah. the film begins and yeah, now we can mm-hmm. exist in reality and then you're thrown into something so bizarre and it's just so yeah. um it just kind of pulls the rug out from under your feet it's mm-hmm. so destabilizing that for me yeah, at yeah. least from that point on i was just totally like on edge i was just like i don't i don't mm-hmm. know where this is going because we yeah. are clearly existing in a space that I understand even less than this character does. Exactly. Yeah, the film keeps playing with you, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Yeah, until the end, really. Yeah. Uh, which is quite the feat to pull off, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do it well. And uh, so at this point, we are kind of thrust into his life. So that, now he does wake up. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to make things even more confusing, it's like he is also constantly waking up during the movie, too. Yeah. Um, but he, So he wakes up, and he's, you know, again, it's 1975, so it's after the war. Um, we do learn in the scene he's with, so he's with his girlfriend Jezebel, uh, and we learn in the scene that he has a son who died uh, before he had gone into the war, and he has an ex-wife who he clearly still has feelings for, and you know he's looking at photos, and I think he comes across a photo of his his son, and Jezebel is pretty terrible in this movie, but I think she's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Again, what you start to learn about everything, um, which is ironic but, because I was looking it up because they, they make reference to the fact that it's a biblical name and Jezebel yeah. means pure or virginal, which is is kind of funny mm-hmm. that his you know <laughs> yeah his his, his we, I mean we don't know exactly what happened. It, I mean we understand there's there's something with the death of his his child, but we don't yeah. know what happened between him and his wife. But it's kind of we are supposed to at least I interpret it that maybe there was some kind of infidelity or something and that's how we ended up with Jezebel. Right. Um, and that, you know, yeah, just exactly, that her name yeah. is, is she, she's supposed to be the pure and virginal one, but she's the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the woman who he's maybe cheating with. It's like, it's, you know, it's just kind mm-hmm. of a weird backwards approach. Yeah. 
everything has a purpose in this film I, mm-hmm. I've noticed um, so that yeah I think that name is not a, not an accident um, mm-hmm. and she's she says something like I, I don't like so when, he, when Jacob's looking at the photos he, you know obviously gets upset and she says I don't th- like things that make you cry and she like snatches the photos mm-hmm. from him and takes him right to the incinerator and you know completely destroys them burns them um, so pretty harsh but you're like okay well, you know because you're not really sure what to make of things yet um, and um, so we see that he's a postal worker, just living like an average life and kind of going about his day. And uh, then suddenly a car chases him down. And again, we see a disturbing looking, almost dead looking person um, mm-hmm. or pe- people, sorry, in the car, just kind of staring out at him. Uh, again, reminiscent of the man in the back of the train. So already we're seeing these images of, um, you know, I describe them as sort of, of dead looking because they do look like almost charred bodies or you know something like that um which again could could relate back to the war uh the war thing or i mean uh, you know there could be a lot of interpretations for this but um of what we're seeing here um so he tries to you know at this point get help from a, a vet doctor um and the the nurse who's helping him like her hat falls off and there's like some sort of strange growth uh, kind of coming out of her head mm-hmm. so all kinds of like interesting things there's always something like in in the scene that's just kind of catches your eye or makes you go hmm interesting <laughs> you know so even like just a simple scene of him talking to a nurse is strange in a way um and going with that sort of dreamlike feel throughout the movie um and he tries to see the doctor but you know they, they say they don't know who the doctor is and he starts getting chased by the guard so it's all very surreal feeling mm-hmm. um and he, he's only able to find a support group and no one seems to know the doctor that he's looking for uh, until the group leader tells him the doctor died in a, a car accident. And he just says he blew up, Yeah, <laughs> which is like so bizarre. But he just so I'm like, OK, spontaneous combustion or um, and he's, he's like, what do you mean? And the guy just responds, I don't know. You know, so yeah. it's it's very yeah, it's very intriguing. This film. I mean, even from that scene, too, I was like, wait, I want to know what, what how did he blow up? Like and you do eventually, I guess kind of find out to find um, out yeah which we'll get to later um uh, oh and i like the line new york is filled with creatures yeah, um, yeah. A good line. <laughs> it's very appropriate for this film mm-hmm. um although jacob describes them more as demons trying to kill him i mean do, do you see them i don't know at, at this point in the film did you see them as demons or what what were you seeing these visions as i guess i don't know it's weird i kind of found myself like not really even defining them like yeah. i don't know like they're I, hard I, to define right? yeah i kind of just saw them as like I don't know, just terrors, you know what I mean? Just like, yeah, like, like animalistic, the, like, yeah. Well, you know, the, the party scene, which I, I guess we should talk about too, because that's pretty mm-hmm. infamous from this film. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a, uh, like a tail, I guess, mm-hmm. um, that comes out, like the people that are dancing on the dance floor with them, they, mm-hmm. you know, like they start to have tails and mm-hmm. there's birds with demon teeth kind of flying around. So there's definitely mm-hmm. a lot of like animal like imagery, yeah, just like very savage kind of things. And, um, oh, also during the scene at the party, um, Jacob has a woman read his palm and she tells him that he's already dead. Yeah. Which is, you know, strange. strange <laughs> but we yeah. don't, don't think much of it. And she's very, um, light, although, very lighthearted about it. Yeah. She's just like, oh, you're dead. Oh, you're dead. And just like laughs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, because, you know, reading palms, I mean, I don't know how most people take that, but, you know, mm-hmm. it's not always taken as the most serious thing. Yeah. Um, but in this case, I guess, you know, she, she was, was spot right. on. Or, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, and then we do have some more flashbacks to the war here. Um, now, the film never really goes into politics of the Vietnam War, which a lot mm-hmm. of films have explored, a lot of you know documentaries and things mm-hmm. like that. 
Um, but it's still sort of there, especially later on, I think, with the conspiracy theories and things like that. Yeah. Um, well, and the, and the, you know, obviously, you know, full spoilers ahead, as everyone listening to this hopefully knows by now. But the, 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 in the closing credits, um, there was a, a title card that was about these experiments that apparently, and I, I can't verify how much of this is true or not true because... I'm not a Vietnam expert and I'm not done research, oh, okay. but, but there yeah, is yeah. a title card right at the end of the movie that says like, um, you know, the, the government was doing these kind of experiments and presented it as fact. Um, mm. once again, I'm not presenting an opinion on it. I'm pretty I'm sure informed, that but... is not true. Cause I, I look, yeah, yeah that, I had to look it up <laughs> or yeah. either that, or it came up when I was doing the research, but yeah, mm-hmm. I think that was pretty much just false, but you know, there mm-hmm. are, there are conspiracy theories out there. I'm yeah. sure about war-related activities and things Mm -hmm. like that um which yeah so um but we'll we'll get to that for sure um and yeah so the film you know it certainly keeps you on your toes because now we we have that party scene and a flashback to the war and then suddenly now we're in a whole nother life we're back in his old life uh we have that sequence where jacob is putting his sons to sleep and we i guess we see he has multiple sons and uh we're you know the son that supposedly is is dead is is there so it's like okay is this a flashback but then he starts mentioning things and you're and you're realizing that maybe everything we've seen up to now has been the dream you know and maybe Mm -hmm. this is where we're gonna be going from here on out um but it's not as simple as that because we're kind of constantly going back and forth between things and and his old life and his, his life now um but he does try to seek help you know he tries to figure out what's going on with himself um the doctors tell him he has a virus uh that's about as much explanation as as we get for much Mm -hmm. of the movie um so again it's like you know another way you could take the film at least initially is that maybe he's terminally ill or you know he has some sort of sickness that's making him see these things that that's initially what i thought when i saw the film was that is like he was maybe seeing visions because of like he was having a deteriorating Yeah. yeah situation or something like that um, I mean, his sanity, another thing is like, is his sanity declining? Are these things actually happening? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then eventually he gets a call from a friend, an old war buddy. Um, it's one of the, the men we see in the beginning of the film and he meets up with him and he, you know, he tells him something's wrong. Like I'm going to hell. Uh, they're coming after me. And this is where the conspiracy theories kind of begin yeah. in the film. Um, it says that they're, they're following him and coming out of the walls and things like that. So things that Jacob has experienced mm-hmm. and um, just a lot of paranoia and, you know, again, conspiracies and fear. And he, you know, he tells him, like, I've seen them, too. And when his friend goes to leave, he turns the key in his car and the car explodes. Uh, so, again, that probably alludes back to what he meant when he says that the person exploded, that the, pre- the doctor that um, Jacob was seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think th- that part of the movie is particularly interesting for me because it really feels like they're doing something about it for the first time. You know, like, like until that point, I feel like not that Jake has been a passive character, but it kind of feels like it was all just so strange and overwhelming that there was kind of nothing he could do to fight it. And I think it's cool that they worked mm. in this little section of the movie because it feels like, you know, like Jacob is fighting back. And it kind of gives it's you... It's like, like somebody knows what he's going through or like understands. Yeah. yeah. And, and it kind of puts, at least for me, it, it, it kind of... Because I think, you know, once again, with a movie like this, the challenge is always grounding it. And I think for mm-hmm. me, what, what that part did is it really made me be like, all right, this is when they solve the mystery. This is when we get answers as an audience. Yeah, and it is... kind of keeps you like... Mm-hmm. Like, like it, it, keeps it, it keeps you in the realm of mystery and not nightmare. Um, right. 
but meanwhile it's still feeding you constant nightmare imagery and you're, you're still in a nightmare yeah but it, it's that because thing where you're like i want to know i want to know what's happening my initial thought on this movie jeremy you mm-hmm. bring up a good point here because when i'd seen the film i really liked it and then now whenever i would think back on it i would think oh that movie oh that's a movie with just like weird imagery that just keeps mm-hmm. popping up and like doesn't really mm-hmm. mean anything but net, you know seeing it this time um i just have such a totally different view of it and i'm yeah. like what, what was i thinking like yeah everything again everything has a purpose and um the momentum we talked about that a little bit but the director and and well, you know, everyone the writer and the editing certainly mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about more in depth but everything keeps the movie moving along and the performances are great um and keeps it moving along and you just you start to understand more and more but also understanding less at the same time um but it definitely has a forward trajectory and at this point it really does um because we have that scene where his old war buddy uh explodes in his car when he's when he starts his car and then from there that's that is when jacob starts to fight back like he's like mm-hmm. i'm gonna do something about this you know people need to know what's going on even if he doesn't fully understand what's going on himself um so they actually they have a, a funeral scene where all the you know every, all the wounded i guess everyone that was in his troop that that survived they're all there and and they're kind of saying that they have these similar occurrences with these with these visions so they're all going to kind of get together and they're going to I guess sue the army, right? Sue the U.S. Army. Yeah. Um, you know, to bring at least bring attention to what's going on, because mm-hmm. um, they know something's going on. Um, but and so Jacob's paranoia increases, and they they get this lawyer who is Jason Alexander. Yeah. Um, exactly pre, who I would or go sort to. Sort of at the beginning of Seinfeld, George yeah. Costanza. Exactly That's who why, I would yeah. go to if I wanted. Yeah, if <laughs> I know, wanted to sue you know, the, in sue good the hands U.S. military. With the, <laughs> yeah, you're in good hands with uh, yeah. with George Costanza. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, you know, he's good in this role. I feel like he's like, I don't know. He's just like, <laughs> yeah, no, he works. He's like, ah, you guys are crazy. Yeah. There, there, um, there's the one part where, when they're talking for the first time, he's just like eating chips. Yeah. He's just talking about <laughs> how much money he does on Seinfeld a lot too. Which is, which oh, is yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a great Jason Alexander moment. <laughs> they're like, like, it's not about the money. He's like, yeah, sure. Okay. Sure. Well, yeah. we can make a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's good in this. Um, mm-hmm. And then, uh, but you know, even, even Jason Alexander at this point, his character eventually he'll he or when he's talking to jacob on the phone he says you know all, all your buddies have backed out you know there's no case here the the government has no record you were ever in the army so yeah it's just things get again stranger and stranger um and there's that operating scene i wanted to mention um where this you know the surgeons are there mm-hmm. and they're essentially you know they they pretty much chase him down and and strap him down it's very reminiscent of like i don't know something like brazil the movie brazil yeah, yeah. or um mm-hmm. obviously like a clockwork orange something like that yeah. um where they strap him down and they i guess essentially lobotomize him there mm-hmm. right um and even his girlfriend is one of the, one surgeons, of the surgeons just to make yeah. it even <laughs> even more crazy um just to add extra horror to it i guess and then um again in this scene they tell him he's dead so it's like you know they are telling you they're not it's not like a secret you know it's like they, they are but again it's like you don't know whether to believe it or what mm-hmm. so um so he's in the hospital and his ex-wife and his kids come in to see him so again it's like is this w- which life is this um and uh what is real and we don't know <laughs> if any of it is um and now so this is like the the ending trajectory of the film so uh jacob is approached by a very distressed man who's been following him from a distance and um, 
so I guess he, he also dragged him away from uh, Paul's burning car, but I, I guess I missed mm-hmm. that part. But um, So he introduces himself as Michael Newman. He tells a story of, of having been a chemist with the Army's Chemical Warfare Division, uh, where he designed a drug he called the Ladder. So that's where Jacob's Ladder comes from. There's also a biblical reference there that I'm forgetting, but mm-hmm. uh, Jacob's Ladder refers to something in the Bible, I think. But um, So this massively increased uh, aggression in the soul, in the in the army and uh michael claims that to test the drug's effectiveness a dose was secretly given to jacob's unit before the battle uh causing some of them to turn on each other in homicidal frenzy homicidal frenzy uh so that is kind of what we're seeing in the beginning so it it, you and they actually do cut back to the scene i believe but you can look at the scene with new eyes now like Mm -hmm. what is actually going on and all sort of makes sense in a horrifying way i mean it was horrifying to begin with that scene but now you understand that this, the soldiers are essentially killing each other um, and just sort of like freaking out and uh, you know convulsing, having these visions and things like that. Uh, so everything at this point, you know, and again, like when I had seen the movie before, I didn't remember that they actually did explain things more yeah, than I realized. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I, I didn't remember. Um, yeah, same thing. Kind of in my mind because it'd been a while since I've seen it. In my mind, I, I had yeah. this, this movie totally wrong. Because I, I thought, for some reason, in my mind, I think it was just because I was so traumatized by that video in high school, that in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is a movie about a guy who gets captured by some evil doctors, and it goes from there. <laughs> like, I thought that was the first act. I mean, that does... I, yeah. I was like, I forgot, like... Happened. That does happen, but... Yeah. Yeah. But... Um, but, yeah, yeah no, no, it, it really... It, it, it does, does a good job of, of mixing the disturbing imagery with, like, an actual, you know, like, plot that's unfolding, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, pretty um, fleshed out. And I think what's cool is, it's like... I, even at the end of the movie, even though you get this con- concluding scene that most people, I would imagine, kind of take as fact because it's presented in a very sober way, I think it's well, all let's, basically. Let's talk a about the. Let's talk about the last scene because that's mm-hmm. pretty much where I was anyway. My notes. So mm-hmm. he and then we'll and then we'll get to that. But um, so Jacob returns to his family's home, and this this is like the last scene in the movie where he finds Gabe, you know, his deceased mm-hmm. son. And he takes him by the hand and sort of leads him up the staircase into this bright light. So, you know, just the imagery of, of, of heaven and, and going, you know, ascending uh, after death. You know, these are things that you know, just kind of like inherently people know. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty. I actually thought that was pretty cut and dry as it was. But you actually mm-hmm. get a scene following that mm-hmm. um, in the in the triage tent. So now we're back in 1971. We're back. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially right after that first scene so the beginning of the film yeah. in the Vietnam War yeah at the beginning of the film and we see the military doctors there uh, you know they have Jacob there and they declare him dead um, so it's after the attack happened after he got the bayonet um, into him and mm-hmm. uh, the doctor notes that Jacob had put up a tremendous fight to stay alive but looked very peaceful in death mm-hmm. so they kind of put a wrap on everything they kind of tie it up nicely and they, they essentially tell us what we've been seeing this whole time, which is, I guess, um, a right before death <laughs> sort yeah. of dream, like a, a yeah, like a pre-death dream um, mm-hmm. or maybe at the same time. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there are, you know, there's, there's lots of research that's been done where people do have people that have near death experiences, mm-hmm. like they have visions and and people um, you know, even w- when they study people's brains that are mm-hmm. dying, like they, they realize that the brain continues on in certain ways after mm-hmm. death so you you know it's it's realistic to actually think that someone would have visions or dream like uh scenarios going on mm-hmm. uh, which is essentially i guess what we've seen mm-hmm. right i mean it's kind of what the movie's telling us um 
I don't know. Do you think it's ambiguous at all, yeah. or do you think it's pretty cut and dry? Well, I I, that's what I was, I, was, I was getting into. I think it's kind of interesting because that last scene is shot in such a kind of sober, straightforward way. I think it's, you know, there's, I, I mean, I don't remember it shot for shot, but I know they kind of end on a wide, and it's it's kind of much more traditional coverage. Yeah. You know, the, the uh, I, mm-hmm. I, once again, don't know for sure what lens Nothing they were surreal using. Nothing's going on. But yeah, it looked like the lenses mm-hmm. were pretty normal length. There's no weird distortion around the frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, no crooked, no Dutch angles, anything like that. Like we've seen kind of throughout the rest mm. of the film, the camera is is mostly locked down on a tripod through that scene. It's it's very stiff. So like mm. I think we're kind of led to believe that okay, this is the reality of the thing. But once again, it's like one of the things that's kind of fun about this movie is that we have created essentially. Let's see, I want to say three different timelines because there's the the war timeline. Yeah. There's the, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Jacob's family, like his, his family timeline. And then there's the kind of surreal timeline with Jezebel. And in a way, yeah. all three of them kind <laughs> of, you could point out to wrapping up in their own way. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. it, it's kind of, mm-hmm. not that there's like a clean, oh, this is what happened, you know, wash your hands, wrap up. But, you know, mm-hmm. in theory, with a movie like this, what's kind of fun about it is there's that scene and they walk, the doctors walk out of the room and he's left lying there. And then I could easily see us just cutting to Jacob waking up somewhere else. And like, <laughs> if, you know what I mean? Like he wakes like, up again. Yeah. yeah like, no, like, you know, and it's yeah. just, it just in a different, Why not? Uh, con, you know, mm-hmm. he could just wake up in the Jezebel timeline. Different again. reality. Or... You know, and, and that's what, cool because I right, think yeah. like, you know, we have the thing of um, him walking up the stairs that feels like the end of a movie that could easily be mm-hmm. the last scene of a movie. Um, you know, right. it's like, like there, there, there were multiple times where, you know, even the, the, the scene with, um, like the doctors and, and Jezebel being one of the doctors that is, it's a horror movie. That That's could the have last been. scene. So it's right, like, exactly, you yeah. know, so, so it's one of those things where this uh-huh. is a movie that kind of doesn't feel like, which, you know, when we're talking about movies that obviously this is kind of, um, taking a, a, a more Judeo Christian approach to the idea of death mm-hmm. with the idea of heaven and hell. But, you know, I think that in that in that philosophy it's not it's not an ending it's you know it's just a a continuation of a a spiritual journey and i think one of the things that makes this movie fun Mm. is even though we get this kind of very sober this is what happened ending it it really at least in my mind left me thinking about well like oh is that really the ending is that really what happened or is that just you know is that just exactly you still don't really know and you know yeah yeah and even at the end like you mentioned jeremy there's that little tag where they this, the text comes on the screen and they tell yeah. you about these different experiments that were done on yeah. soldiers and things like that. Which, which, which again, is, apparently is not based in fact, but I mean, again, mm-hmm. there, you know, there are definitely conspiracy theories out there. Yeah. You know, well, and, and these kinds of things. even now, you know, if we're, if we're picking this movie apart and, and throwing our conspiracy theories at it, you know, th- they talk all about how the scientists and the doctors were working on these soldiers to do these experiments. And the last scene of the film is two doctors working on Jacob. So, like, you know, it, it could even go into the idea of, like, because we do get that title card at the end about the experiments, like, are these doctors just there to help Jacob? Or were these people part of the the conglomerate were that were, it? you know, were, were they partially responsible? Yeah. So so I think it, mm-hmm. it's one of those those things that, which, you know, these, I'm not going to say any of the other movies because I don't want to spoil, but I think these kind of twist endings... Um, you know, like yeah. these M. Night Shyamalan, I guess I will, but you know, <laughs> if by now you don't know that M. Night Shyamalan has twists, where have you been? You, um, yeah, if you don't know that. The... <laughs> and yeah, I, won't, I won't say what the twists are, but the, but those kind mm. of twisty movies were very popular in the 90s with these twist endings. But like for me, this was one of the t- twist endings, I guess if you can call it a twist ending, that kind of felt the least definitive. Like it didn't feel like the twist was there to just have you be like, oh, you know, it just, it just kind of mm-hmm. felt like it was just an, an alternate 
idea that yeah. it was working through um, in, this, in, in the this, possibility of Jacob's life and afterlife. Th- this movie has already so many twists and turns to it yeah. and so many like fake outs sort of that mm-hmm. adding conspiracy theories into it just made it like over the top, like, but in a good way, like I was like, yeah. all right, we're going full in. Like, yeah. you know, and again, that, that is kind of the trajectory of the, like, I would say like the final third of the film mm-hmm. is kind of following this, this, um, this conspiracy, conspiracy theory, theory. Mm-hmm. or the, or theories. You don't even really know exactly what's going yeah. on, but um, yeah. So interesting that, uh, that aspect to it. <laughs> Yeah, it's you really never know yeah. what's going well, on, and we, and, and um, we don't know how honest. You know, going back to this, the theory, we don't know how honest. The, I think the character's name is Michael. Um, you know, like we don't really know how mm-hmm. honest Michael Newman. We don't really know how honest he's being. We don't really see any proof at any point that he knows what he's. Yeah, doing. he, he, he kind of just story. shows up. Yeah, yeah. like it, it just like, it's like, one saved of those, you from the. Yeah, yeah, like like which which is it, is kind of cool. Um, you know, I wouldn't call this a movie that's about conspiracy theories. Um, I, I actually have two movies if, if people are into those that I would just recommend as a side note because they're two of my favorites are um, um, Under the Silver Lake um, and uh, mm. a, a recent movie I just saw called Something in the Dirt which I think just came out in theaters like a few weeks ago mm. which are explicitly about uh, by, by, by Benson and Moorhead is the second one it's, it's great um, oh, but, okay. but I haven't seen those yeah, yeah this, 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 like I said just came out I just, I just caught it at a festival okay. and it was awesome um, but, th- but those are movies like about conspiracy theories they're, they're movies about the search for information and I don't think this movie is really about the search for information I think there's a brief period of that mm. but I think it's kind of more <laughs> the Jacob is trying yeah but <laughs> he's I, really trying I but, think this one what yeah. makes it so kind of grounded and, and immersive is it's really about the emotional reaction to the unknown and and the kind of fear mm-hmm. that comes with the unknown. Well, also, um, you don't know if he's going crazy, the main character. So you don't yeah. know if he's losing his, his grip on reality. Mm-hmm. So that that goes into it as well. And it, it's interesting you, you mentioned those alternate timelines. There's at mm-hmm. least three that are going on throughout the film. Yeah. And <laughs> people are going to hate me for this comparison. I know it because I kind of hate myself for it. <laughs> but it, did, it kind of reminded me. Have you seen the show Lost at all? I haven't seen it, actually. Okay. Yeah. I actually never saw it. You know, when it, when it came out in the what was it like the early two thousands, it was like a huge deal, and mm-hmm. everyone watched it. And I was like, I'm not watching that. It's mm-hmm. stupid. But I ended up watching it like sort of recently, and um, there's a lot of comparisons that you could, that could be made. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's I mean it, that show is known for being sort of frustrating for un, unanswered questions, but mm-hmm. I actually think it ex, it explained it kind of over explained everything to the point where nothing made sense. And there's also alternate timelines going on at the same time there's actually like a, a a past a future and then now this is a huge spoiler so i'm not going to get into it too much but for the the last season they kind of go into another timeline which is similar mm-hmm. to this film so uh yeah strange but i definitely got it kind of got that vibe i wonder if they were influenced at all by this film because mm-hmm. this film did influence a lot of people you mentioned oh, yeah. uh music videos mm-hmm. uh and there's you know there's video games there's a, a video game series silent hill mm-hmm. which apparently was was influenced by this film as well. And, and, and I mean, lots, you can see the influence of this film kind of all over um, oh, yeah, different sure. surreal imagery that you see or in, mm-hmm. in horror movies too, you know, yeah. since we're talking about horror here. Well, um, another one and, that, that I kept thinking about another film that I kept, we, we mm-hmm. talked about him last time, um, but I kept thinking about the movie Mulholland Drive, um, which, which I, I, I don't know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of David Lynch doesn't talk about his influences too much. But I, I kind of kept coming. Dreams. <laughs> yeah, dreams, the, dreams, the but also, yeah. you know, this idea of multiple timelines, you know, maybe uh, people being yeah. two people, 
you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, know, yeah, it's like a character sure. kind of in dual one identities. Thing is, yeah, double identities. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the question, you know, kind of using um, dreams and horrific imagery to explore a relatively simple idea. Um, yeah. And also another film, you know, we talk about influence that this one called to mind is Enter the Void by Gaspar Noe. I don't know. Have you, have you seen that, Mark? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I have seen that. Which mm-hmm. which could also, yeah. you know, I know we don't want to, you know, give too much, but could also be another good movie for this series, just a thing to note. That might be a good one. Uh, that might be a, a really good yeah. one, because that movie's scary as hell. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I digress. it is. <laughs> I, you, you can definitely it see is. a through line between Jacob's Ladder and some some kind of more contemporary and movies that... Um, for sure. Stylistically, for sure. but also idealistic, idealistically... Uh, or ideologically, mm-hmm. not idealistic. Ideologically, uh, approach some of the same, same, same thing. Yeah, for me, it's one of those movies where like all the different elements really came together. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the directing, mm-hmm. the acting, the editing, as you mentioned, which I do want to mm-hmm. mention, um, and the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the I, it was directed by Adrian Lin, who's mm-hmm. known mainly for. <laughs> I wrote steamy thrillers. Very steamy thrillers. Which is which is true. Which is uh-huh. true. Like a Fatal Attraction and Indecent Proposal. Um, okay. So this is this is sort of a little different for him. He also did uh, a, a version of the controversial Lolita. Yeah. In 1997, so much much after Stanley Kubrick's version. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's you know he had a pretty varied career, and um, I think he did a really good job here of interpreting Ruben's script. Um, mm-hmm. So the script the the film was written by. Bruce Joel Rubin, and um, as you mentioned, Jeremy, there's a lot of allusions to heaven and hell, and and sort of like biblical, like Old Testament kind of uh, imagery. And apparently, that was much more evident in the script for the film, like much more played up. Um, yeah, that's something that I that I researched when I was looking things up about the film, and that was interesting to me that like the demons that you saw in the film, at least in script form, were actual like literal demons that you would see. <laughs> Which is kind of crazy to think about, like, you know, how the movie turned out and then like seeing this like very literal imagery would be interesting. I don't th- I don't know if it would be as effective. Probably mm-hmm. not. But yeah. um, I really liked how they did it, you know, how they ended up doing it in the film. Because apparently when the director started working with the writer, you know, he had these ideas for like these more, you know, grotesque, bizarre visions that were not really that couldn't really be defined. Um, and I think that was the right way to go for a lot of reasons. But um, but and, and again, it goes back to the editing as well, where I like that the film it doesn't linger on any of these visions for too long right it, the the ones that jacob has like you really only get glimpses and you you know to the point where sometimes i would even pause it just to kind of see what i was looking at yeah um because you could miss it you know you could miss it really really easily um but it just makes it more disorienting and, and horrifying i think um mm-hmm. and that's due to the phenomenal editing um and i looked up the editor's name but i did not write it down because actually, I don't think I could find it on IMDb. Find it, I wanted to give a shout out because I can't yeah, do that. Yeah, it's terrific. It's um, like, yeah, kinda, it's really you know, phenomenal. I don't want to say it makes the movie because there's of, a lot of great elements going well, on. Well, it makes it's essential. It makes the it's movie work in, yeah. in a way. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I did find it. So Tom Rolf is his name. R O L F. Yeah. And um, let me see did. what else he. Yeah. Yeah. Because not a lot. The editing. Not it really certainly made it all come together in a way. Um, so he, oh, taxi driver. Wait, oh, wait, yeah, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, he did a lot. <laughs> okay. I guess he did. Well, I, I must yes, just, uh, well which, then. Which is weird. <laughs> Inter- actually, that's really interesting because you can kind of feel some very similar, you know, these kind of grimy New York stories. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like yeah, there, yeah, there is, sure. that, that, now that now that we're looking at it, um, there is kind of that interesting, similar thing in Taxi Driver where it kind of passes from scene to scene. Um, 
without totally grounding mm-hmm. you all the time. You know, you can kind of just move mm-hmm. through it. So that, that yeah, is kind oh, of yeah, interesting. for sure. And I wonder, I wonder if, the, you know, that was a, a reason oh. that they went for this editor for you this You also movie. edited Heat as well. Yeah, so, I mean, you know. All right, so big, a big editor. I was really good I editor. was terribly um, wrong when I said yeah, that Yeah, well, I mean, also, I guess Scorsese's known for editing his own films, but I'm sure they worked together on a Yeah, lot it's interesting, it. too, um, I guess, because Thelma Schoenmacher, I guess, didn't do Taxi Driver, which I didn't realize, because she's kind of, mm. but yeah, I, I guess she right. might have started later with Scorsese. I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's no, why I just assumed yeah. interesting discovery for both of us. I, I, guess I just never <laughs> exactly. thought about it too much. That was a real time discovery there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, editing is great, and um, yeah, I actually found this film a lot of the editing and, and the, the imagery a lot of a lot of it was very similar to David Lynch imagery, yep. which obviously we just talked about with Eraserhead. Um, where where like and I guess what I mean is it's artistic without being overly pretentious or. Yeah. It's it's more just like quirky or strange, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, although I guess some people might find David Lynch pretentious, maybe just because I've watched so many interviews with him and things like that. Mm-hmm. I just kind of know where he's coming from in a way that's like he's definitely. I don't think he's trying to be pretentious or anything like that. No, like no. that but you know, um, but I think he goes with that dreamlike imagery and and sort of he goes with the subconscious, which again is is sort of how the visions feel in this film, which mm-hmm. is appropriate. Um, and um, so also I wanted to mention, well, we, we mentioned the writer who um, he also wrote the movie Ghost, yeah. which thematically, you know, there's a lot of the, a lot of similarities there. I think it came out the, yeah. either the same year or the following year. Though, and he well, kind of he was a writer who kind of struggled for a while. I was, yeah. I was reading about him and like sort of had a breakthrough with this film. And obviously Ghost was like a huge film when it came yeah. out. Well, it looks uh, like yeah, just looking at his. Yeah. Looking at his his filmography or his, you know, his as uh, Wikipedia and stuff, it looks like he actually wrote yeah. Jacob's Ladder well before Ghost, uh, like right. Years it, before. It, was, it was a script. Yeah, it yeah. Kicked so around it was for a while. Um, Jacob's Ladder was a script. It was one of those that was kicked around for a while. A lot mm-hmm. of people didn't. A lot of people really liked it, but they didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, is the impression I got. And I also read. I think the director said that it read like a novel more yeah. than a script. Mm-hmm. So I think people were sort of like oh, maybe intimidated isn't the right yeah. word but it, that's kind of know, interesting because this movie I, I would say this movie does have uh, a novel feel to it you know like, like it does the, it really does you it know really that does. that kind of i mean even down to the editing but as it was particularly in the writing um i could see i could see how this would translate perfectly to a novel you know like like it, exactly. it, kind, it kind of feels like the, the way you move through it um, you know the mm-hmm. multiple timelines, the way it jumps around. That that totally yeah, feels you, like something that would you, just flawlessly fit the form of a mm-hmm. book. You could almost adapt it like scene for scene <laughs> into yeah. a book, and I think and it, it would work. The same. It would work perfectly. Yeah, it would yeah. work for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, although describing the visions, I guess, might be a little trickier. Mm-hmm. Um, although I, w- I wonder how they they are described in the like in the finished script, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, so I'm just looking at other things he's done. Um, yeah, so a lot of it's in that vein, and then there's. <laughs> Deep Impact, which I did not expect, and Stuart Little 2, which I also did not expect. Yeah. Um, but then there's a Time Traveler's Wife. Okay. Yeah. I I, I'm reading right now. Um, it's saying that he, he took a, he was a student at NYU and was classmates mm-hmm. with Martin Scorsese and Brian De Palma, uh, which makes yeah. sense. And it actually says that Brian De Palma directed Ru- Ruben's first student script. Um, so that would be an oh, interesting okay. find if that's out there anywhere. Um, but it yeah, also wow. okay. says he almost failed. Yeah, because I read first... that he he was in he was in New York and then he kind of took a leap of faith and, and made the move out to L.A. At the mm-hmm. same time, I think his I don't know if his manager dropped him or they someone declined his script or some, something major. 
some major, I'm sure, disappointment for him mm-hmm. happened, but he kind of like took a leap of faith and moved out to LA. And it's like one of those like stories where everything kind of like worked out. Place, he was yeah. very lucky. Yeah, everything fell into place, yeah. and so it's kind of cool. But but it does um, say here that he almost failed his screenwriting class due in part to what he considered <laughs> really? the confusing non-intuitive theories on plotting and structure, <laughs> which is funny because you there know you his theories yeah. on plotting and structure mm-hmm. would be confusing to most. Um, and not yeah. intuitive. It's but, kind of what makes it, but that's yeah. what makes it so it's fun kind of and interesting. It unique, yeah, it's like yeah, because this is definitely right, yeah. this is this is the farthest from the buy the book save the cat screenwriting structure <laughs> that you could maybe imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's you know that's what's exciting. That's what makes a good a good. Cult I almost feel like they should. Yeah, I feel like they should show this film in screenwriting. Yeah classes or like in film school just to show it like an alternative yeah. you know maybe like I mean? the, like the advanced the advanced screenwriting class once once you once yeah. you've seen once you've seen indiana jones and star wars and they, they've taught <laughs> yeah. you three-act structure then you know the mcguffin like, yeah yeah then then be like all right, right. now throw all that out, out the window and try to do something mm-hmm. like this because this is just yeah. so fun i remember in film school they would do that a little bit but they, they yeah mm-hmm. they never showed anything quite like this film yeah this is a total mind melt of a film mm-hmm. uh yeah, so uh, especially from that like you know script structure standpoint and all of that, um, but it works. And another thing that makes it work that I wanted to touch on before we we close up here, Jeremy, is uh, the performances. Again, I, I mentioned mm-hmm. it before, but I think uh, Tim Robbins is our main character, Jacob, and he just I don't know he does a great job of just playing like that. He he plays such a sympathetic character in this film. Um, and he makes it really compelling, like along along with the editing and obviously the visuals. Um, he just kind of, like you just, he has that. How do you even describe it? Like that element to him where you you almost feel like he's walking through a dream. You know, you, you mm-hmm. kind of he is like he's going along with everything, but then he also tries to fight back, and then you believe that, but you also believe that he's going crazy and that he's losing his mind. So it's like all of that he makes work in, in, in some way, and I think he's a great actor in general, but oh, yeah. um, I Tim think Robbins. he did a great job. I, 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 that's one thing I wanted to talk about is just, be, you know, as as we, we, you know, this podcast in a way is is scholarship, uh, you know, if we if we want to be so bold as to call it that. Um, but, like, you know, so as we're, as we're constantly – working on forming the canon, which anytime you talk film criticism, anyone, you know, from any conversation, that's what you're doing. When you talk to your friends, you're helping to form the canon of what people continue to talk about. And I feel like Tim Robbins is someone who never really gets enough due for just how unbelievably good he is. Um, you know, I think yeah, I was, I was looking just over his credits and I was like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, you look <laughs> like, at cause you I know, think, you know, obviously, done, like, he's been, he's been in so many good movies. Yeah. And he's amazing. so good. You know, obviously the movie uh, that comes up the most with him is Shawshank Redemption, but like Shawshank Redemption, the play, like, she is really good in, but yeah. yeah. But like this, the player, um, mm-hmm. you know, oh, the Mystic, players, Mystic River, too. like he, like, I think Mystic he's, River. he's right yeah. up there with any other actor from his generation. And for some reason just doesn't seem to quite get the same like mm-hmm. you know i know we, we were talking about daniel day lewis yeah um before this yeah he's <laughs> and like like you know it's yeah it, it's weird to say it because daniel day lewis i think is kind of known for playing these really big intense power roles i'm not comparing tim robbins mm-hmm. to daniel day lewis but i think that because yeah. tim robbins a lot of the time you know is playing these kind of more everyman kind of characters mm-hmm. like he mm-hmm. doesn't get more the subtle. same yeah like like most of his characters kind of feel like He's even in the player where he's playing a, a powerful guy, he's playing an executive. He still kind of feels like down on his luck a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah. you know, Shawshank sure. Redemption kind yeah, of down. He's, he's an underrated actor. Yeah, I think. like like he, he he I think it's it's that quality where he kind of feels like 
things go wrong for him. He's not the kind of guy who's forcing himself through the world, which a lot of like De Niro characters yeah. do and a lot of Jack Nicholson character do. Yeah, and he's and, and I think he's not like that, a powerhouse. Yeah, like some of these personality. Yeah, he's, he's not a powerhouse personality, but I think he's yeah. a powerhouse actor. Like I think I think in, in terms ways, of what he's yeah. turning in performance wise is right there for with sure. those other guys. And I, you know, personally, sure. I would like more people to to talk about Tim Robbins because mm-hmm. I just I just think he's so. I good. agree. Yeah. I should talk about him more. Yeah, right. yeah. The players, the players, like one of my. It's the yeah, best. I, oh, yeah. I think it's it's so good that movie. Oh yeah, that, that's definitely a top a top ten all time movie for me. I've watched that so many yeah. times. Just yeah. And obviously that's that's Altman, but I think mm-hmm. yeah, his performance is. Uh, yeah, he really carries that, that for sure. Makes it all work. Yeah, he does mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so the last thing I wanted to touch on, you know, we talked about directing, writing, editing, performances. The last thing I want to touch on here is the effects because, mm-hmm. I, above all, that is what makes this film so unique Mm -hmm. and uh interesting little piece of information i just wanted to end with here is that all the film's special effects sequences were filmed in camera so there's no use of Mm post-production effects at all which at the you know from when the film was made 1990 you would expect there not to be really any cgi or anything like that but Mm -hmm. to know that everything was done completely in camera is like like no digital trickery at all you know Mm -hmm. nothing done in post uh in the edit well other than the editing itself to uh to make these scenes so so horrifying, um, mm-hmm. it's just really impressive, and I think a, a very bold and a, but like the right choice to make, right, for this movie, uh, because of the way that these scenes play out and how brief, like really, like you you know, if you put together the runtime uh, of all of these effects, it would really I don't I can't even imagine it'd be like what like a minute. <laughs> yeah, that, it's a lot of um, just quick flashes. It's really mm-hmm. yeah, just quick flashes, um, sort of subli- like subliminal, which is what makes it work th- with mm-hmm. all this imagery. Um, and he used the the director Lin used sort of like a, a body horror technique, mm-hmm. um, which um, I'm sure many people have seen this done in films where the actors recorded uh, like it, there's a couple shots where they, they're shaking their head around and, mm-hmm. and, and you know and but they shoot it at a low frame rate, so uh, it results in this sort of like horrific like fast motion effect when it gets played back. Um, and apparently that uh, Lynn said this was inspired by the art and uh, art of the painter, Francis Bacon. Oh yeah. That makes um, total sense. When he yeah. was, yeah. When he was developing it. And it, yeah, it does make sense. Which it, Francis Bacon uh, is like notably one of David Lynch's biggest, biggest influences as an artist. Mm-hmm. I, oh, has he said that? For, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's really into Francis sense. Bacon. <laughs> so it makes a lot it of makes sense. sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so both these films kind of go back to Francis Bacon, I guess. Yeah, oh, yeah. Francis, Francis Bacon's the best. He's if you're if you're a horror fan, yeah. uh, and, and you you're not deep yeah. in the art world. If there's one painter, like I, I'm, I'm very proud of my my art history minor. And if there there's one one painter, <laughs> I, there you go. I, I, I don't get to talk <laughs> about it a lot, it but when I do when I do bring it to bring there it up, yeah. I, I always will. But if there's one painter, if you're a horror fan, uh, that I would recommend just looking at everything he's done. Uh, go study Francis Bacon because he makes the most. Ter- like you know paintings don't generally scare people you know what i mean like it's pretty rare unless it's like it's you know some yeah. some painting in an old haunted castle where you're more scared of the space <laughs> than the painting itself but like francis yeah. bacon paintings like you can just stand in front of those and you just feel the kind of eerie psychotic strange yeah. things that he was he was cooking up in his mind and they're just they're really fascinating so definitely worth taking a look I've- I've seen some of his work, but now I now I want to look up Francis Bacon painting. Yeah, there, I think um, I think there's a good yeah. documentary on him. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure there's. Oh, is there? Okay, it might not be like a full, but my, you know, one of those 45 minute artist mm. documentaries. A uh, really interesting guy. Really, pretty fascinating. Okay, I'm gonna yeah. try to look that up now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 
So Francis Bacon mm-hmm. is our summary of both these films so far. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's pretty much all I wanted to discuss uh, with Jacob's Ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, although you know we, we always talk about like the moments that stood out to us. I guess out of all these visions, Jeremy, uh, mm-hmm. that he has, did any of these scenes stand out to you the most or stick with you the most? Out yeah. Of well, of them? I mean, we've we've hit on a lot of the kind of the big notable ones. Um, what I want to talk about is just there was a jump scare which there aren't a lot of jump scares in this movie. You know, there are a few. But there's no. one moment with Jezebel when um, when Jacob's... I, I don't remember exactly where it comes in the movie and what, what it's following, but he's kind of having a crisis mm-hmm. moment. And she kind of just grabs him and shakes him and, like, you know, is saying, like, Jacob, like, what's going on? And yeah. really quickly there's this one cut where her eyes are just totally black. Like, her, her pupils are just dilated. And it's, like, wow. it's like two seconds long. I think long. I missed that, actually. Yeah, I and it, I, I don't know. For me, like, you know, I, I'm not a big jump scare person. Well, that's not true. I'm a big jump scare person when they're done well. So, like, I, I don't want to say I'm not a big jump scare person. But I think that, you know, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, the, the place of jump scares in horror films. And I think, um, you know, I, th- I think it's one of those things where when a jump scare is done well, it's amazing. And I think there, there's kind of a, a right and a wrong way to do it. If and it's I, not overused, I if, guess. Yeah, if yeah. it's not overused or if it's kind of purposeful, you know? Like, like in my mind, mm-hmm. a good jump scare is either subtle, where it can happen kind of randomly and not have a big payoff, um, but it has to happen yeah. in a way where it it's not... It should be some like, sort of reason. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Or, it's, or it's not necessarily, like, just there to make you jump out of your seat. It's, it's there because <laughs> yeah. it's scary, like, uh-huh. genuinely scary. Mm-hmm. It's not just to make you jump. And I think this one was right. great because it's, it's a subtle jump scare, um, but it just, it really kind of got me. Like, I, I found myself just jumping back from the screen a little bit. Um, and, and it's quick, and it's not oh, the okay. scariest moment of the movie, but it just was really unsettling to me and reinforced that tone of, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And and I think in general, uh, you know, I mean, it's not a moment, but I, I really like the, the actress who played Jezebel is Elizabeth Pena. And I thought she really gave yeah. a ter- uh, terrific performance. And I think a lot of the mm-hmm. scenes with her um, are kind of easy to overlook because of all the crazy other stuff going on. Um, But I think she really brought an interesting degree of naturalism to the film. Uh, There's one moment where she like kisses Jacob and gets a little bit of shaving cream on her face and Mm -hmm. while he's shaving and she kind of laughs and it's just such a natural laugh, but you kind of don't trust her totally, but she's also really kind of sweet. And and I feel like she, she played it so well um, in terms of finding that balance where you're not sure where she sits in the story. (laughs) Um, which is difficult. I, I exactly. Think she really yeah. In a great performance. She has moments where you're like, yeah. You, she has moments where you're just like, this is a horrible person. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, why is she do, saying these things and doing yeah, this? Like, but, is she cruel? Um, is she sweet? Is she love him? Yeah. But then there, there are moments like him? that, right? Yeah. Where it's like a little more sweet, and you're like, okay, I could see, you know, why these two would be together, <laughs> why he would endure this. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, she was really good in it as well. Again, like all the performances are, are really good, and yeah. um, um, for me, like the moments that stand out, like you know, in terms of effects or visions that he has. Oddly enough, I mean, the, the dance scene's pretty notorious. Yeah, I feel the like party. You know, yeah. the, ta- the tails. Um, yeah, the party scene, sorry. Mm-hmm. But the one the one that, that kind of sticks with me the most, I guess, would be, like, uh, oddly enough, it's not overly done in any way. Like, you couldn't even call it a creature. It's almost like one of those, um, it's like what, uh, like a nylon or, um, you know, like a stocking put over someone's face yeah, yeah, yeah. it has that sort of a it's like when one of the, it's one of the faces out of the back of the car i believe mm-hmm. when the car is the yeah car yeah, yeah the car him. yeah yeah and it's like you only see it for a moment of course just like all the other images but there's something about this one it's just like very it's very disturbing very haunting uh it's like yeah you kind of like see someone's face but it's only through this like 
this um, sort of stocking mask that he's wearing and like very like tightly pulled around him and yeah it's again the person's like screaming and so yeah again thematically this is sort of like a heavy one but i think Mm -hmm. um it certainly plays into a a lot of the aspects that we talk about when we talk about uh cult films on this show and which is what we do so makes sense (laughs) but i think it's like you know it's it's a very heavy movie but the way it plays it uh is very intriguing and and makes it very unique Mm -hmm. and different like because if you just were throwing these thematic elements at at the viewer without any of this other you know, the other, any of the other techniques or things that we talked about going on, I think it would be a little heavy and mm-hmm. maybe even heavy handed in the wrong hands. But um, no, I mean, I think all the elements came together on this one and, and made it work. Um, yeah. And as always, well, not always, but as many times when we talk about different cult films on the show, it, it does have a remake. Um, it, and oh, also it? remade I Ghost, that. apparently. I just saw that. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, Jacob's Ladder, there was a remake in 2019 which I have not seen and yeah, didn't know existed kind of until under the radar a little bit. But. We did this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but no I mean, idea. good to know, but, but I, I think, I think that <laughs> hopefully this... they did it, you know, hopefully it's in the tradition, at least of this film, you know? Yeah. Who knows? But I, I, I will say, I think that, um, I think that this movie is a great cult movie. Um, I think yeah. it, it's kind of like, it is the definition of a, you know, a cult movie. Also just a great film. Yeah. Yeah, you know, great movie, general, really well done. Like, and uh, e- even down to, like, you know, we talk about what makes a cult movie, which is all the forever ongoing debate on this show. Um, the eternal question. <laughs> the eternal question, what makes a cult movie? <laughs> and, you know, this one, one of the things we've said before is a movie that kind of maybe didn't hit immediately and then slowly found its audience over time. Yeah, and, and this is that's one exactly of those, what happened. Yeah, this, this movie mm-hmm. wasn't a big hit when it started, and it was one of those ones that, you know... Like I, I, we talked about, was, the definition of a cult is something that you you kind of can't resist and need to keep coming back to. And I yeah. think this is one of those movies that just has that that it's it's kind of endlessly mm-hmm. watchable, and you, you can't it's, just watch it once. You have to come back to it at a certain point. Yeah, you can't. You really can't. Mm-hmm. It, it's one of those films that, like, at least I personally, I sought out because of the cred that it has. You know, I just heard yeah. people talking about it or whatever, mm-hmm. and from a film standpoint and then i i you know and then so but it's a slow burn it is like i it took me years to really realize how great this film is um i knew it was good uh, you know at the time but uh, re-watching it was was essential i felt like yeah i don't don't always feel that way but but that's why again like we said like cult films like these are films that, that are meant to be sort of watched over and over in a way um and that's sort of how they gain their notoriety as well yeah so yeah it's a pretty pretty fascinating certainly fits the bill Mm -hmm. yeah uh, so that is that is going to end our discussion on Jacob's Ladder. Uh, we'll be back next time with uh, another film that's sort of horror, but not really. Another non-horror horror film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for now, thank you so much for listening to Cult Movie Cult. You can find us on the usual social media. Um, if you have any cult films you'd like to hear us discuss on the show, or if you'd like to officially join the cult, be a guest on the show, please feel free to reach out to us at cultmoviecult at gmail.com. This has been Cult Movie Cult, and until next time, so long from the other side.